Mike Bro is a pastor and an author, and he tells this story that I just love. Uh, it was about this time where uh, he, he was living in this small town, and uh, there was a department store that was opening up in this small town. And I guess that's big news in small towns when department stores open up. Like maybe uh, back in the day, it was like the Roses or the Kmart was opening up, and that was a big deal. Or if you're from a small town, uh, maybe you got really excited when the Walmart came to town. I, I don't know. But uh, he, he told this story, again, just small town living about this department store that opened up, and, and it was a big deal where they were at, and so uh, he, he took his two kids, who were four and six at the time, uh, to this department store opening, and they had uh, giveaways with raffles, they had like amusement rides out in the park, uh, the, the, the parking lot, and uh, so he said he, he pulled up to the parking lot of this department store, and it was packed, I mean, there were tons of people, and so he, he was able to find a, a parking spot, and he took his, his kids in, and they started browsing the store, and uh, one of the things that Mike noticed right away was that uh, the department store had hired, like, college-age kids to be stand-in live-action mannequins for their grand opening. Uh, and so here are these college kids, they're, they're frozen, uh, being mannequins for this grand opening. And, uh, you know, Mike was doing his thing, he was, he was looking at, at some shirts or whatever, and uh, his kids, who were four and six, were off at a distance a little bit, and he could overhear their conversation. They didn't know that he was listening, but, but he could hear what they were saying. And, and their conversation sounded like this. The four-year-old said, they're real, they're real, they're real. And his six-year-old brother, uh, in all of his six-year-old wisdom, said, no, they're not real. They're called mannequins. And his four-year-old brother just stopped and was looking up at this guy who was playing as a mannequin. No, no, he's real. I saw him breathe. He just moved. I saw him. I saw him. And then his six-year-old brother responded back to him, no, you're, you're four years old. You don't know anything. You're an idiot, right? And then they go back and forth. No, I promise. I saw him. He moved. He, he was breathing. And they go back and forth. And Mike could overhear all of this from where he was. They didn't know that he could hear this. But they're going back and forth. They're debating. And then the guy who's playing the live-action mannequin out of nowhere goes, hey, what's up? And then he goes back. When he did this, his kids freaked out. Their mouths dropped. Their eyes got wide. They ran over to Mike. They said, Dad, 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 they're real. They're real. The mannequins are real. And Mike overheard all of this, and he knew what was going on. And just to mess with his kids a little more, he said, Kids, they're mannequins. They're not real. Every store has them. Right? And then he said that throughout the rest of the day, his kids, because they went around that store and then they went to some other stores. He said throughout the rest of the day, his kids went up to the mannequins, all of them, and started poking at them just to see if they're real. And I, I think this story is a great picture of uh, what a lot of us do with church. We, we, we show up at church and we start poking around and we're wondering, is this real? Is this real? We, we see the people who are gathered here and we poke around and say, are you real? Are these people real? Is this real? Because that's what we want. That's what we long for. That's what we crave. Something that's real. We all want the real thing. And if you had a choice between something that's real and a knockoff, my guess is that you choose the real every time. Like if you had a choice between Cinnamon Toast Crunch and Cinnamon Crunch, no toast in that one. If you had the choice... You choose Cinnamon Toast Crunch every time. Now, you don't have to pay for it. 
So I should have said that caveat. If you didn't have to pay for it and you had the choice, you're going to choose Cinnamon Toast Crunch every time. Here, you got the choice between toasted O's or Cheerios. You're picking Cheerios every time. You're not messing up my illustration. That's right. <laughs> you're picking it every time. Especially if you don't have to pay for it. Here's why, here's why, here's why. We all want the real. But the real comes with a cost. The real is more expensive than the knockoff. And the real in life, the cost for that is vulnerability. See, we all crave real. We want what's real. But the cost, the price is openness. We all want real. But the cost is to be laid bare. And that's a high price sometimes. We uh, started this series several weeks ago called The Me I Want to Be. And uh, the premise of the series is um, that there's this me that I see. And, and this is my experience. I'm, I'm sure it's your experience as well. But there's this me that I see, and then there's this me that I want to be. And uh, they don't always line up. The, the me that I see and the me that I want to be aren't always the same person. And, and what we're trying to do throughout this series is we're trying to align who we are with who we want to be so that who we see in the mirror is actually the, the me that, that we want to be. And so what we're trying to do throughout this series is, is, is become the kind of people. So, like, I want to be patient, and then we actually are patient, right? This is, this is our goal. And this isn't a pipe dream. This isn't like one glad morning when this life is over, I'll fly away and then I'll be that thing. No, like I believe, we believe that we can actually be those kind of people here and now. And so the person, we want to live in such a way where the me that I see is disciplined and the me that I am is disciplined. I'm living that right now. Like the kind of person that I want to be uh, as a man is I want to be a good king in my family who presides and provides and protects my family. And I'm living that here and now. And so that's the goal. And the thing is we can actually achieve that goal. We can attain that goal here and now in this life. And we're doing that throughout this series. And as you look at your life, there's probably some areas in your life where you say, you know, who I want to be and who I am now are in line. They're in sync with one another. But, but there's probably some areas, too, that aren't in line, that aren't in sync, that, that they're, they're, they're out of whack with one another. You want to be a certain way, uh, but you're not quite there yet. Like, like you want to, to be the kind of person um, who uses their anger for good and, and to stand up for uh, injustice. But instead, what happens is your anger, you, you suppress it, and it just comes out sideways, and it ends up burning people. Right? You, you want to be the kind of person who's, who's disciplined uh, and who's well off financially, but you just keep going back to the credit cards or you, or you come up with excuses or reasons why it's okay. And so, so you find yourself in debt and struggling. You, you want to be a, a person who, of integrity who does what they say they're going to do, but then there's times that you drop the ball. Instead of owning up to it, you make excuses. Right? There's, there's oftentimes where we look at areas in our life and we see the me that I want to be is not my reality. And so what we're doing throughout this series is we're figuring out how do we bridge that gap and how do we live in that reality here and now. And we're exploring what we call the journey way. And uh, these are our values as a church. And these aren't just values for us as a church or as an organization, uh, but I believe these are values for you, for your life. 
I believe that if you adopt these values that we've been going over and you begin to live them out in your life, you'll become who you want to be. And uh, we have this really great tool on our website that you can um, go to to download a wallpaper for your phone so that you can see the journey way. Uh, all the time, you can learn these values. You can begin to implement them and live them out in your life. If you just go to our site, this is journey.church, go to the tab that says who we are, and uh, you'll see those wallpapers that you can download to your phone. I want to encourage you, download those wallpapers so that you have them throughout the rest of the series. And just as a reminder, so that you can become the person that you long to be. But today, I want to drill down on this value that we have called real is all we know. Real is all we know. We are a real church. If you came in here looking for a facade, looking for something fake or plastic, you came to the wrong place. We're a church where real is all we know. But in order for us to be real, like I said, it comes with a cost. There's a price to pay. And the price is vulnerability. The price is to be open. The price is to be laid bare. That can be a really scary thing. That can be a difficult thing when we own up to our stuff and we bring what we have shoved in the shadows out into the light. And we say, I don't have it all together, but God is putting me back together. And actually, God gave us a perfect picture of what it means to be real uh, and open and vulnerable. We, we see it in the story of creation. And um, when it comes to our origins, how we came to be, there's, there's really two stories that, that people believe. One is the story of evolution. The other is the story of creation. Uh, and I say they're both stories because evolution isn't science, it's, it's a theory. Science is something that can be uh, subjected to the scientific method. You can reproduce it, you can observe it, you can recreate it. We just can't do that when it comes to our origins. And so what happened was people looked at how we got here uh, or wondered, hey, how did we get here? And then they looked around at the evidence and they said, based on the evidence that we see, we believe that there was this big bang and um, this cosmological accident and uh, life came from non-life, which goes against science, but we, we just believe that life came uh, from non-life and uh, that eventually uh, this life started to move around and evolve and get more complex, and, and here we are. And so that's the story of evolution. The other story, the story of creation, says uh, that you and I were created with purpose, that God spoke all things into existence, and then he molded humanity from the dust of the ground, and he breathed his breath into his lungs. Listen, it doesn't matter to me what story you choose to believe, but the story I choose to believe is the one of creation. And the reason why I believe that is because it just gives me more hope, right? Like one story says I'm an accident, says it's survival of the fittest, so to hell with you. It's all about me. Why should I serve you? Why should I help you? I want to achieve, and I want to... That's what it is. So one story says I'm an accident. The other says that I'm made with purpose. And because of that, I should love you because you're made in God's image and you have purpose too. So, so, so I choose to believe that story. And uh, the story of creation goes like this, that God created all things. He spoke it into being. Uh, and then he creates man from the dust of the ground. He molds him from the dust. He takes time on him. And then he breathes his breath into his lungs and then he, he sees that uh, the man is alone. And, and the man, Adam, experiences this loneliness in himself. Um, and so what God does is he takes a rib out of Adam and he makes Eve, this woman. And so God begins the story by making a man and a woman, a man and a woman, a man and a woman, not a they, them, but a man and a woman. 
and then they enter into this covenant relationship of marriage. And so this man and this woman enter into this covenant relationship of marriage, and I want to show you the beauty that we see in this relationship. It's found in Genesis uh, chapter 2, verse 25. It says, Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. I don't know how much more vulnerable, how much more laid bare, how much more open you can be than to be naked in front of somebody. I mean, have you ever been naked in front of somebody? I mean, that's a, that's a terrifying image, but it's also a, a relaxing, carefree image. I mean, you, you, you've experienced this, right? You've had this dream, a nightmare, where you're naked out in public. Maybe it's at your workplace or on the bus or at school or out at a store somewhere, and everybody's all around. You're naked, and you're terrified because you're exposed. But then, if you've ever been naked in front of somebody, and you trust them, and you love them, and they love you, and they trust you, oh, it's carefree. There's no cares in the world. I mean, just think about what it takes to be naked in front of somebody with the lights on. I'm not talking about the lights off. I'm not talking about you connect on Tinder and hey, I'm talking about you, you're naked in front of somebody, butt naked, lights on. What's it take? It takes trust. I gotta trust that person. It takes humility. It takes confidence. It takes love. It takes grace. Right, to be butt naked in front of somebody, lights on, love, trust, humility, confidence, grace. Oh, and that's all, we want that. You want trust, you want humility, you want grace, you want peace, you, you want that. I remember uh, our son, Aiden, he was uh, three years old at the, at the time, he, he's five now. Uh, but when he was three years old, I mean, he was just this picture of, of nakedness, of openness, of vulnerability. Uh, when he would take a bath, uh, he'd get out of the bath and he'd dry off. And then after he dried off, he'd run out of the bathroom butt naked. And he'd, he'd, he'd just run around the house screaming, naked Aiden, naked Aiden, I'm butt naked. Like, this is what he did. And it was so great. I mean, he's three years old. He's carefree. He's, he's open. He's, he's trusting of us. And then there was this moment where a sister, who's four years older than him, saw him run out butt naked, and she screamed out, Aiden, you're butt showing. And when she said that, the carefree look on his face turned to shame. The, the, the free feeling that he had was embarrassment. And so he ran out, I'm naked, I'm naked, Aiden, your butt's showing, my butt's showing. And then he ran off to go hide, to get cover. My three-year-old son learned at too young of an age the difference between being naked and carefree and covered and ashamed. And this is a feeling you and I have learned in our own life. Because there were times we tried to be vulnerable. There were times we tried to be open. There were times we tried to be carefree and somebody shamed us. Somebody pointed out that's not good. Somebody said, don't do that. 
And at some point in our life, we learned to cover up. We learned to be embarrassed. We learned that, well, if they don't like that, then maybe I need to stop. And right now, my guess is that you're living covered up. My guess is that you're living embarrassed and ashamed. My guess is that there's some things that you've shoved in the shadows of your life, and they're still there. They're there. You know they're there. You run into them all the time. You deal with them in your life. They show up in all kinds of ways in your life. They just keep it in the shadows. You just keep it hidden in the dark because, well, if I said anything, what would people think of me? If I showed my nakedness, I might get made fun of. I might get joked. I might get put down. I might not be accepted and embraced. And so we've all learned to cover up. See, what happens with Adam and Eve is there's this moment where they decide to go their own way. God says, live my way. And they say, no, we're going to go our own way. And this is the decision you and I have made in our own lives. We've all made the decision to rebel against God. And that's what they do. They rebel against God. God, I know you say this, but I'm going to do this instead. And because I think I know better, because I want to go my own way, because I want to do my own thing, sin entered the world. And sin is when we rebel against God. Sin is when we don't go God's way. Sin is when we think we know better. And you've experienced this in your life, right? I've experienced this in my life. Every time we choose not to go God's way, it doesn't go good for us. And this is what happens with Adam and Eve. They decide not to follow God, and when they do that, this moment of intimacy, this openness, this vulnerability, this nakedness becomes exposed, and all of a sudden they get ashamed. When they decide to go God's way, Genesis 3, 7, at that moment, their eyes were open. They, were suddenly, they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness, so they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Adam, Eve, your butt showing. They got scared. They covered up. So I'm going to do all kinds of things, but I'm not going to show my butt to anybody. I'm going to cover it up. Hide it. Now, now listen, the takeaway here is not let's all get naked, all right? <laughs> this is not that kind of church, and we're not serving Kool-Aid, okay? <laughs> no. The physical nakedness is a parallel to our emotional and spiritual nakedness and our openness and our vulnerability. And because we're often terrified to be real, because what would you think of me? Would you accept me? Would you embrace me? We think we're the only ones going through it when the truth is everyone else is just as jacked up as you are. But we're scared. And so we cover up and we pretend like everything's okay. And you see it all the time, don't you? You experience it. You live it. It's the family that posts all the great photos of smiles and activities and fun on Facebook. When at home, the marriage is a wreck, and passive aggressiveness is just a way of life. It's a mom who's so concerned about her kids behaving so that it could seem like she has it all together that she's constantly scolding them and missing opportunities for them to be children. It's jockeying for position to be noticed and seen as smart and successful as work when really deep down inside, you're afraid that if people knew who you really were, then they might think that you're a fraud 
and that you might get found out. So you just put on this show, this bravado, that you got it all together. It's responding when someone asks you how things are when you say they're fine and it's not. Because you don't want to tell them that you're sad or you're disappointed or you're frustrated. And, and truthfully, when they ask you that, they don't care anyway. I mean, if you really unload it, oh, man, things suck right now. It's like, oh, goodness, why did I ask? Because we don't care. Oh, but we got to care. We got to care. It's when somebody asks, hey, how are you doing? And you just feel like... You got to say, keep him busy. Ah, oh, keep him busy. Busy, busy all the time. Busy. Because if you didn't say that you were busy, they might think you're lazy. What kind of slacker are you? Oh, I'm busy. And then what happens because you respond busy is you begin to live your life that way so that you're so stressed out, you're so freaked out, you have no margin, and you can't fit the important things of life in because you, you, you're scared to be seen as lazy. We see it and we feel it and we experience it um, with the cover-ups. It's, it's the, the filter of blurriness and fuzziness that you put on Instagram before you post it, right? See, the cost of being real and open is vulnerability, and it's a high price. Because if I'm real, if I'm open, if I bring the stuff that I'm storing in the shadows out into the light... What if you don't accept me, and what if, what if, what if, what if, what if? And it terrifies us. And so we hide. We cover it up. And I think this is what plagued Jacob for most of his life. 4,000 years ago, um, this guy named Jacob was born um, with his twin brother Esau. Jacob's mom and dad were Isaac and Rebekah, and... Um, Rebecca was pregnant with these twins, and the scriptures say that these two twins, Jacob and Esau, were at war within her belly. They fought all the time, and then it was time for them to finally be born, and Esau emerges first. He's the firstborn. He's older than Jacob, but only by a few seconds, and when Jacob comes out, he's grabbing onto Esau's heel, and the idea is that he's trying to pull him back in so that he can be born first, um, but when he is born this way, grabbing onto Esau's heel. He's given the name Jacob. And Jacob literally means heel grabber. Some, some euphemisms of that are deceiver, uh, place taker, conniving. And so Jacob is born and he's given this identity of deceiver, conniving, place taker. I'm gonna do whatever it takes at all costs to get ahead. And this is how Jacob lives. He lives his life deceiving and um, uh, trying to get over on people so he can get ahead. And there's this one moment where uh, he does this with his, his dad, Isaac. His, his dad is uh, about to die. He's lost most of his sight. He can't see very well. And he's going to give a blessing to his kids. Esau's the firstborn. So the blessing he's going to give Esau is the blessing of the firstborn, where Esau's going to get most of the inheritance. But then Rebekah, their mom, who likes Jacob more, says, Jacob, I got a plan. We're going to steal Esau's blessing. You're going to come along with this, and uh, we're going to make this happen. So what happens is Isaac says, Esau, go uh, hunt for some game, and then make me a meal. Let me eat first, and then I'm going to bless you. So Esau goes out to go hunting, and while he's doing that, Rebecca, his mom, makes a meal, says to Jacob, go give this to your dad and pretend to be Esau. And that's exactly what Jacob does. He went to his father, and he said, my father... Yes, my son, he answered, who is it? Jacob said to his father, 
Amisal, your firstborn. I've done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. Isaac asked his son, how did you find it so quickly, my son? The Lord your God gave me success, he replied. Then Isaac said to Jacob, come near so I can touch you, my son, to know whether you really are my son Esau or not. Jacob went close to his father Isaac, who touched him, and he said, the voice, oh, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He didn't recognize him, for his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau, so he proceeded to bless him. Are you really my son Esau, he said. I am, he replied. Jacob has this moment where the question is, are you going to own up to who you really are? Are you going to pretend to be somebody you're not? Are you really my son Esau? Yeah, I am. And he covers up. He pretends. He fakes it. And then he steals Esau's blessing because he deceives his dad. And then Esau finds out that his brother just stole his blessing, stole his inheritance, stole the majority of the wealth. And so Esau's mad and he takes after Jacob to try and kill him. So Jacob, he's terrified. He runs. And then years pass. Jacob ends up uh, having his own life, marries a couple wives. Not an example you should take. Uh, marries a couple wives, uh, has a bunch of kids, builds a lot of wealth. And then uh, he hears, years and years have passed, he hears that Esau is on his way to meet him. And so Jacob's terrified. Oh, my goodness. He's still holding on to this. He's probably going to kill me. And so what he does is uh, he goes out to meet his brother Esau. His brother doesn't want to kill him, actually. Uh, his brother forgives him. That, that's the end. But before that, as he's going out to meet Esau, he sends over his wives and his children and his um, belongings over to Esau so that Esau can see just what a life Jacob has built. And as he sends them over, Jacob finds himself all alone. And, and this is the moment that I want to draw our attention to. Genesis 32, 22, during the night, Jacob got up, he took his two wives, his two servant wives, his 11 sons, and crossed the Jabbok River with them. And after taking them to the other side, he sent over all his possessions. This left Jacob all alone in the camp. And a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. And when the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of its socket. And then the man said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. I want to show you. Jacob is wrestling with this man all night. It's in the darkness of the night that he wrestles with this man. We find out later that this man is God. But in the darkness of night, Jacob is wrestling with God. And then the dawn breaks. The light breaks forth. Let me go. The dawn is breaking, but Jacob said, I won't let you go unless you bless me. What's your name? The man asked. Uh, do you remember Jacob was asked the same question years and years and years prior by his dad, Isaac? What's your name? In this moment, Jacob has to decide what he's going to say. He replied, Jacob. Finally, Jacob comes clean. Jacob says who he is. He doesn't pretend to be somebody else. He says, my name is deceiver, conniver, 
Somebody who takes the place of somebody else. Somebody who's willing to do whatever it takes to get ahead. That's who I am. He comes clean. As the dawn is breaking, he brings this stuff that he was hiding in the shadows out into the light. And he owns up to who he is. Here's who I am. Your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you'll be called Israel. Because you have fought with God and with men and have won. And I think Jacob says this because he's tired of wrestling. He's tired of the inner battle. And God touches his hip, wrenches his hip. And I imagine Jacob, he's just in pain. And he's done everything he can. He's done everything he's known to do. And he's still in this spot. He's terrified for his life. And in this moment, he just realizes, I got to come clean. I got to say all the stuff that's in my life. Here's who I really am. And when he does that, God says, no, that's who you were. But who you are now is Israel. You're somebody who's wrestled with God and have won. Please tell me your name, Jacob said. Why do you want to know my name? The man replied. Then he blessed Jacob there. Jacob named the place Peniel, which means face of God. For he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. And the sun was rising as Jacob left Peniel, and he was limping because of the injury to his hip. See, for his whole life, Jacob covered up. Jacob lived out the life of a deceiver. That's what a deceiver does. They cover up. For his whole life, that's how he lived. And there was a moment in his life where he wanted and won a blessing by being deceiving. That's what he did with his dad. And then this time, as he wrestles with God, his heavenly father, he wanted and won a blessing by being open, by being real, by being vulnerable, by saying, here's who I really am. See, you and I, I believe, are in this moment in our life where we're wrestling in the dark. You're wrestling in the dark. And it isn't until you bring out what you've been shoving in the shadows into the light. God is wrestling with you and he wants you to bring them out into the light. It isn't until you bring it out into the light and you say, here's who I really am. Here's my addiction. Here's my insecurity. Here's my lack of confidence. Here's my wondering, am I good enough? Do I have what it takes? Oh, these are my struggles. These are... It isn't until you bring that out into the light and you admit it and you get help and you share that with others. It isn't until you do that that you'll find healing and wholeness. Because here's what I know. God cannot bless the you that you pretend to be. He can only bless who you really are. And so you got to bring that out into the light. I'm going to close by reading uh, this book. It's a kid's book called There's No Such Thing as a Dragon. This is Billy Bixby was rather surprised when he woke up one morning and found a dragon in his room. It was a small dragon about the size of a kitten. The dragon wagged its tail happily when Billy patted its head. Billy went downstairs to tell his mother, there's no such thing as a dragon, said Billy's mother. And she said it like she meant it. Billy went back to his room and began to dress. The dragon came close to Billy and wagged its tail. 
But Billy didn't pat it. If there's no such thing as something, it's silly to pat it on his head. Billy washed his face and hands and went down to breakfast. The dragon went along. It was bigger now, almost the size of a dog. Billy sat down at the table. The dragon sat on the table. This sort of thing was not usually permitted, but there wasn't much Billy's mother could do about it. She had already said there was no such thing as a dragon, and if there's no such thing, you can't tell it to get down off the table. We don't talk about that. Yeah, we're not even going to bring that up. Let's just pretend it's not there. Sound familiar? Mother made some pancakes for Billy, but the dragon ate them all. Mother made some more, but the dragon ate those too. Mother kept making pancakes until she ran out of Billy, or, uh, out of batter. Billy only got one of them, but he said that's all he really wanted anyway. Uh, it's okay, I don't really need that. That's fine, I'll just live with it. Billy went upstairs to brush his teeth. Mother started cleaning the table. The dragon, who was quite as big as mother by this time, made himself comfortable on the hall rug and went to sleep. By the time Billy came back downstairs, the dragon had grown so much he filled the hall. Billy had to go around by way of the living room to get to where his mother was. I didn't know dragons grew so fast, said Billy. There's no such thing as a dragon, said mother firmly. Cleaning the downstairs took mother all morning, what with the dragon in the way, and having to climb in and out of windows to get from room to room. By noon, the dragon filled the house. Its head hung out the front door, its tail hung out the back door, and there wasn't room in the house that didn't have part of the dragon in it. When the dragon awoke from his nap, he was hungry. A bakery truck went by. The smell of fresh bread was more than the dragon could resist. And so the dragon ran down the street after the bakery truck. The house went along, of course, like the shell on a snail. The mailman was just coming up the path with some mail for the Bixby's when their house rushed past him and headed down the street. He chased the Bixby's house for a few blocks, but he couldn't catch it. Your dragon affects other people. When Mr. Bixby came home from lunch, the first thing he noticed was that the house was gone. Luckily, one of the neighbors was able to tell him which way it went. Mr. Bixby got in his car and went looking for the house. He studied all the houses as he drove along. Finally, he saw one that looked familiar. Billy and Miss Bixby were waving from an upstairs window. Mr. Bixby climbed over the dragon's head onto the porch roof and through the upstairs window. How did this happen? Mr. Bixby asked. It was the dragon, said Billy. There's no such thing, Mother started to say. There is a dragon, Billy insisted. A very big dragon. And Billy patted the dragon on the head. The dragon wagged its tail happily. Then even faster than it had grown, the dragon started getting smaller. Soon it was kitten size again. I don't mind dragons this size, said Mother. But why did it have to grow so big? I'm not sure, said Billy. But I think it just wanted to be noticed. Here's the truth, there are dragons in your life. And I'm not talking about dragons out there, I'm talking about dragons in here. And for you to get free, you gotta see the dragon. 
And sometimes seeing the dragon means that you slay the dragon. There's some dragons in your life that you need to slay. Sometimes it means loving the dragon. But the first step is acknowledging that the dragons are there. Because until you acknowledge that the dragons are there, you'll never find the healing that you need. You'll never find the wholeness that you've been longing for. And the way that you acknowledge that the dragons are there is you just say, real is all we know. So I'm going to be real. I'm going to be open. I'm going to be vulnerable. I'm going to stop covering up and pretending like it's okay because it's not. It's time to get real. And you're in the right place. Because as a church, real is all we know. And you're in the right place too because you can't do this alone. You can't. I can't. This is why we need Jesus. I don't know if you've ever made the decision to say yes to Jesus. To say, help me. Lead me. Guide me. I don't know if you've ever made the decision to make Jesus the savior of your soul and the lead of your life, but I want to give you that opportunity right now. There's this QR code that's going to show up behind me. It's the mother of all QR codes. You can scan that. There's a form there that says connect. I want you to fill that out. There's a box on that form that says, I want to accept Christ and be baptized. If you've been doing this alone, trying to figure it out on your own, it's time to say, God, I'm tapping out and I'm tapping into you. I need help. I wonder if you've ever made the decision to say yes to Jesus, believing that he died for you on the cross, that he rose again from the dead, deciding to make him the leader of your life, and being baptized into him. Today's the day to make that decision. And he'll help you. He'll give you the strength that you need to embrace the reality you long for. And then for those of you who have made the decision to say yes to Jesus, this is why we celebrate communion every single week. When you came in, there were packs of communion elements on your chair. There's a cracker there. It reminds us of Jesus' body that was broken for us on the cross. There's some juice there that represents Jesus' blood that was shed for us. And we take communion every week, not as a ritual, not as some religious thing, but as a reminder that we can't do this alone. And because Jesus was laid bare on the cross, he took our sin and our shame. We don't have to live in that anymore. We can have hope and healing. So I want to invite you to take communion. As you take communion, I just want to pray. Pray that God would help you step into the light and be real and open and vulnerable and bring your mess to him. He sees it. He's not ashamed. It doesn't scare him. He's bigger than your mess. God, we want to be real. Ah, oh, that's what we want. We long for the real. But we're scared. We're scared because when we're real, we know that our butt starts to show. That makes us uncomfortable. But God, would you remind us that you accept us and you love us and you embrace us and you already see all that anyway? 
oh, there's some stuff that we've shoved in the shadows and you have been wrestling with us, even to the point here and now, bringing us to this moment where you're begging, you're pleading, bring that out into the light. Come on, get whole. So help us do that today. Some of us need to have a conversation with our spouse about something. Some of us need to have a conversation with you. Some of us need to call a trusted friend and say, I heard this thing at church and I gotta, I gotta get real. Help us do that today. Help us stop pretending like there's no such thing as a dragon because they're living inside of us. We wanna acknowledge it. We wanna slay them. Some of them we need to love and embrace. Help us do that today. In Jesus' name. Amen.